But you know what? You invested in my companies. You've not made me do the personality test. That's pretty cool. I'm actually quite curious now. You might have already done it. You might have just been like, what's happening here? What were your thoughts on this? And you just like answered, not knowing it was part of a test. He's right. (laughs) (laughs) I know you so well. I know the answers to the questions. (laughs) Welcome to Happy Millionaire, a show about how to make profit with a positive impact and stay happy along the way. All right, so on today's episode, we've got Reese, one of my really, really close friends. Um, Reese runs a fund called Concept Ventures. It's actually the largest pre-seed fund in the whole of the UK. I met Reese actually at a wedding. We were randomly sitting next to each other and we hit it off. We've been like really, really close friends since then. And we're going to dive into his journey. And I saw Reese's launch of his fund, which was crazy. It was all over Sky News. It was all over the papers. And seeing that was just amazing. And now you're in this room, Reese. So how was um, how was that period for you? Because I know there was so much going on, and it was hard to get hold of you. And we'll be getting a few WhatsApps here and there. But like, what was it like? It was a crazy experience because I think that journey for me was six, seven years to get to that point, and that was a long road with lots and lots of ups and downs. And when that day finally comes, where you've you know, for us, becoming institutional fund, sixty million dollars you know, from somebody who hasn't had a VC background and there has been ups and downs on the road. It just felt relief, to be honest. But then you're thrown in on a live Sky News interview the day before you're being, you know, interviewed by national newspapers. And it was just, yeah, it was a crazy experience. I think what I learned from it more than anything was that, you know, you've really got to have something that's different, a different story, a different messaging for the world. You know, there are lots of other funds, there's lots of other products and services in life. But I think what we we did, which was really interest people, was that we did something different. And I think that's what stood out for, I think, the media. And I think the coverage was quite credible, actually. Our PR agency actually said that there was 242 million eyeballs across all the platforms that we kind of distributed on. So yeah, crazy day. And so everyone knows who you are now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but I, I think it was yeah, it's a successful launch, and we were really happy with it. And great to share it with some great friends who are here. Yeah, today. yeah. No, we yeah, were both yeah. at the launch party. Um, yeah. We both had a lot of fun. We um, definitely, I played a good part in drinking as much booze and food. So don't worry, I, <laughs> I definitely got my money's worth. Um, but no, it was nice to see everyone. Obviously, you were there as well. Yeah, yeah, that was epic. Let's bring the listeners up to speed here because obviously we, we know each other. You mentioned you don't come from a VC background. Talk us through sort of your journey up to this point now. So like, what were you good at school? Like, where, where did you go to university? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I think maybe a good place to start is my 13th birthday. 13th? 13th. Okay. <laughs> and, um, teenager. Teenager, yeah. So you're inquisitive about the world. And I think that at 13, you don't know what hell you're going to do with your life. But I remember really distinctly, there was a story where I walked into my school and I'd saved a lot of pocket money and I bought this thing called an iPod. And now people think, oh, okay, that's that work, whatever. But this is when people generally thought if you owned an Apple product, you were batshit crazy like literally crazy you were like some alternative this is when they had and some people might remember you could only connect via firewire which was the apple equivalent of usb i saved all my money i bought this and took it into school when people were like what the hell's that why have you got a windows zoom or whatever the equivalent was or and i was like look i love the design love the product so i was always really fascinated with technology and then off the back of that i just loved the product so much i said to my my dad i said look for my next birthday please just buy me some shares in apple and he was like what are you talking about like that's ridiculous this is you know 20 years ago and um i just like persisted and persisted and persisted and and that was the start of my investing journey and like my passion for technology and 
things, seeing things differently. And, you know, I kept the shares for a long, 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 long time into my kind of early 20s. And fast forward, ended up at EY, which is a great place to start my career in the kind of technology division. So kind of continuing that passion for business and technology, spent four or five years there. And then I left and luckily some of the Apple shares did okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I was going to ask you, how much did you uh, I can't remember, but buy? it wasn't a lot I put in. I put a few thousand pounds in. Obviously, it was just like pocket money I saved from like doing like, you know, odd jobs and little work over the summer. And then, yeah, so I mean, obviously I saved a little bit from my EY days and I, I just literally quit one day. I was like, right, I didn't know anything about what I wanted to do. I went for a sabbatical and then I was like kind of in this transition in life, basically. So I think like after that, I really felt, let me just explore the world. A lot of people go through that. Not many people take that jump. And I didn't know I was going to end up in VC. But what I did is just followed what I was really interested in. And that goes right back to that kind of 13 year old kid who's just like exploring things and trying things and doing things. And I think where I ended up was I met a number of people on the way. I found really interesting businesses to work with. And I worked with those three companies essentially as almost like co-founders, invested a little bit of money, very, very little, and basically, you know, had a good stake in those business and worked with those three companies for a number of years. And on that journey, I started making very, very, very small angel investments in things that I was interested in. And then, you know, fast forward a little bit longer, we sold one of those businesses to private equity. One was an absolute disaster. And we'll probably have a story about that later. And one's still going today. So there was kind of three businesses that I really started off kind of grounding kind of on that kind of almost that on that founder side where we built them from literally the ground up and then you know fast forward now we've you know as a firm have made like 65 investments in the UK all in particularly software businesses but all at the pre-seed stage that very earliest stage of uh, of the journey and yeah we've had some good successes and you know we've now closed this new fund which is backed by the British Business Bank which is the the UK government's investing arm but also, I'm very proud that like a lot of the investors in our fund are from a diverse background. 80% are from an ethnic minority background, which is very rare in, in the UK. So it sounded like you went into angel investing quite early, right? And there's so many people that are quite fascinated with angel investing. It's like now it's really cool. Like even yeah. Serena Williams has got yeah. her fund yeah. coming out. Ashton Kutcher's into VC investing. You know, you're seeing loads of like even Drake, all these guys. Like everyone is now investing into startups. So I guess for people that are quite early in the game, and who are thinking about doing angel investing, what are things that you've now learned or like what's the shortcuts that they could take right now to find these good deals? Because you've obviously failed a lot and you've made... Oh yeah, tons yeah, of yeah. times. So what, what, what are some of the ways in which they can find these deals? There's loads of shortcuts which I wish I knew. And the first one I think is the one that I probably, and every angel investor probably learns the hard way, which is like they just invest in three companies and they're like, okay, one of them will do really well, Right. And inevitably, they all fail, right? Like, it's just the maths of the situation, right? And when people start out, they should allocate to 60 companies, like, in their portfolio. Like, that many is, like, the, the yeah, number, yeah. right? And so I think when you start out that journey, don't go crazy with the first two or three deals. And the second thing is, like, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, you have to be really rich to be an angel investor. But actually, there's so much democratization these days through different platforms. And I think the one I learn the most on is definitely AngelList. So AngelList, I think, is a really good platform. And now in the UK, you have things like Odin, which is like a good equivalent. Uh, shout out because I'm an investor in that business. But yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and so AngelList is great. And the reason why AngelList is a really good platform is because you can 
piggyback of someone else's kind of research knowledge and you're very aligned with them so you know i did a number of deals on angel list to kind of get my network up knowledge up and you know some of those have gone on to become like unicorns right so it was a great way of like you know you could invest alongside sequoia who are the you know premier vc fund in the world and you're sitting in london with a one thousand dollar check and you can invest in it so i think that it, you know, really learn from people who've been there, trod the road, and people are very open to talking to you. So I think there's lots of different things. But I think really also find what you're really passionate about. Because, you know, if you're really passionate about climate tech, or in Rupi's case, food technology, maybe. So you already got to like, be interested in what you're kind of investing. And that's the kind of primary thing I would say. And yeah, expect a lot of things to go wrong (laughs) in startups as well you know that's there's a big risk reward you know i just want to rewind quickly back to like after ey did you only invest in three companies is that correct yeah so that's basically what i did so So you did the opposite of what you yeah yeah yeah. i did completely the opposite and i think that model is slightly different right because i think if you're a pure angel you're you know you're owning typically like maybe half a percent 0.25 percent of the company but in those cases, I had a very big equity stake in those companies. I had 15, 20. And so it was almost like I was building those companies alongside the founders themselves. Um, they needed you know, various different skills, like operational skills, you know, fundraising, loads of, you know, I got involved, product, everything, right? So it was almost like I was on that journey with those founders. So it was almost like you're coming on as like an employee. You're like, yeah. You know, or not an employee, yeah. but like, you know, co-founder. As a co-founder. Yeah. And that's the way I look at it, because I think, you know, we were in the trenches. You know, I was in the trenches for those first three, four years of those companies and really kind of battling with those founders but off the back of that and kind of on the side I started doing a little bit you know here and there friends said oh starting something found it interesting and then you know that's kind of and then I started doing it more systematically and I realized a lot of my mistakes and then started doing more on angel list diversifying and then we launched our first fund in 2018 and then we've done a number of funds since then and then obviously closed this fund now. You were essentially a co-founder helping these businesses, you're, yeah, you, you know, as you said, you're in the trenches, but you actually opted to go for the angel investing path. What made you go, hey, actually, I want to stick on investing rather than being a builder, right? Which is what I yeah. am, right? So in Bliss Growth, we build. That's what I love, right? Yeah. But why, yeah, why did you go down the angel investing path? Yeah, so I think, I think for me, it's a people-based thing. My passion and, you know, even our funds drive is like, you know, we're early stage investors. So what have you got people to kind of invest alongside? And when someone often comes to us with an idea, you're like, wow, I didn't even think of that. That's so cool. Like I didn't even, like the last company we invested in was like a, a voice dubbing company and the founders used to work at Google and Palantir. I'm like, is that even a market? But it's like a $12 billion market a year. So, you know, like I think that Seeing though that that like kind of gives me the energy very much in terms of what what we do, and I think existing portfolio like really changing the way people do things, and that's our whole mantra. Like we want to invest in companies that change the way people work, play, and learn, and so that's what gives us, you know, as a team and myself, like a lot of energy when we're doing what we're doing. When you left EY. It, surely you got a lot of people saying, what the f- yeah. <laughs> What are you doing? You're leaving like a steady job. Yeah. You're probably in your 20s. I'm yeah, assuming. it was. Yeah, yeah. If people met me at EY and saw the journey now, they would be quite, I think, bemused by it if they worked with me at EY or knew me at EY. And I think the reason why it was because I think that it goes back to the first point of just like enjoying fundamentally what you do. 
I knew that I could stay and make tons of money, like whatever. But I didn't never did anything for the money, even you know, back in all my steps in my career. The reason why I went at EY is because I had an offer other places as well in banking. And I didn't take that because I knew that EY was a better learning. I did everything for learning. Like, that's why I always did it. And so when I left, I thought, how can I maximize my learning and my passion together? You know, that Japanese, they have that concept of ikigai, which I'm sure you'll talk about on the podcast at some stage. But yeah, I think that's what I was like, kind of, I left with nothing to go towards. And I was like, let me go find my kind of icky guy, as it were. That's what it was. And I think, yeah, a lot of my partners probably that worked with me would probably be very sure. And it's not a lineal transition. You know, you get a lot of investment bankers, a lot of private equity people come maybe into VC. And there are people that go into VC from consulting, quite a high percentage. But there's not a high percentage that kind of start their own fund from there, which is a really hard journey, actually, like a proper startup in itself. At school, were you a nerd? No, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I think yes and no, probably. If you don't know, uh, yeah, probably yes. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, in my yearbook at the end, they they like have this poll of like who do you think will be the quickest to be a millionaire or oh, the most really? successful? Or something. Okay, and I won that, and I thought, oh, nice. And I, yeah, oh, that's, so, that's a really good accolade, man. Yeah, I, I, I wish know. that was in my yearbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, save but, lives. You're going to save loads my, of lives. Mine was uh, most likely to be a Bollywood star. Oh, really? <laughs> I think yeah. I can see that. (laughs) I mean, apart from buying Apple ridiculously early, like, were you doing any sort of entrepreneurial sort of side gigs and and stuff? Just sitting at home and trading, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, actually, no. I I think what I did was every summer I used to go and do some kind of work experience with people. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. Um, Since the age of 14, I used to every summer just go, I knew someone who was in business. I would spend, you know, two, three weeks with them. So by the time I got to like applying for internships 18, 19, my CV was just like full of stuff. And I just worked for free. I would just be like, I don't care. Just give me something, stock room, whatever. You know, like I just... Get me in there. Yeah, just get me in there. So I think that's, you know, when I look at young people, we hire a lot of young people, do a lot of internships. I just tell me, I don't care. You all got good grades. You all go to good universities. Just tell me what you did in your summer. Tell me what you did in your spare time. And that's what I think people should really like look at in kind of young people but 100% although you mentioned the school thing I really did struggle at school actually I might have ended up like there at 18 but school was really really tough for me I'm heavily dyslexic I wouldn't say heavily but I've learned to cope with it like all over the years when I was young people literally my school teacher said to me when I was probably like seven or eight they literally said to my parents Reese would be lucky to get one GCSE Literally, that's what they said to them. And so, you know, it's always been, um, there's great entrepreneurs who who have dyslexia and like Branson, so many examples. But, you know, that's like anything in life. Everyone has strengths and weaknesses and you've got to play to your, you know, strengths. And I ended up doing okay, but that's because I spent... You know, had great support from my family and and friends and everything that goes with that. So, dude, I remember your um your dad saying that at the launch party the other week, and that um almost had me tearing up, man. It was amazing, like how like proud your dad was because he repeated that story about how everyone worked you off at mm. quite an early age. Were you privy to that first of all? And do you reckon if you were, that kind of spurred you on? You were like, well, fuck these guys. I'm going to yeah. be, you know, I'm actually going to I'm going to do great. 
Yeah, I think there's a combination of both. I think very, very early, when I was five or six, I, I think my parents sheltered me from that. But I think more importantly, my parents were very good about like encouraging me and they went the extra mile. They literally went and did training courses about kids who have dyslexia, like how to encourage them, like, you know, all of these, they... I learned to touch type really early on in my life. So, you know, very quick at touch typing now. And so I think that everyone needs great mentors and support people. And without those people that believe on your journey and, you know, a couple of teachers really believed in me, particularly in my secondary school. And that's where I got my passion for business and IT were the two subjects that I kind of excelled at. And that comes from great people supporting you and you believing and it's a combination of everything right and so without those foundations i don't think anywhere near i would i would get where i have today i think so your family's incredible like i'm lucky <laughs> to have spent a lot of time with yeah. your mum, dad your sisters and what's so unique about you i don't know if you're aware but they're actually in the daily mail his family <laughs> on how they um for how they um set like family goals and like so they go around the oh, table sick, and really? they set goals together they go through each person's individual goals. So literally, it was in the Daily Mail. I had like that's your mum's doing. Yeah, right? that's, yeah. that's your mum. Your yeah. mum's talk about your mum. Yeah. She she's amazing. Yeah. So my mum's she has a coaching consulting life coaching business called Savran, and you know she's was a teacher for twenty five years. And then she quit and then did this. You know, we do things like family meetings, you know, like kind of values on the wall. I mean, the article was about how to run a family like a business, which yeah, is, yeah. and it, I think, yeah, it was a bit of tongue in cheek, but I think there are some great principles there. And especially in modern life, you know, all of us are so busy, you know, it's hard to bridge that gap. And so like even us, we like zoom in for like a family meeting because yeah. uh, we're all in different places and, you know, it's, it's difficult. Talk us through the framework. So yeah. like how often do you have family meetings? What do you say when you do have a meeting? What are the like non-negotiables every week? Sure. Like what would that, that sort of overview of like what a you got to make mum proud have. as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, so basically you right like well, any, any, anything that we, it's like any business meeting in a lot uh-huh. of ways. Have an agenda. Okay. Everyone opens with like, this is what's happened in a week. We say something like positive to start the meeting on typically like something we're grateful for or something that's happened to us. And then we'll dive into an individual's problems typically like, you know, I, you know, uh, have this work issue or I, you know, have this relationship issue. And then we often spend a lot of time on just one thing and try and solve it. And then um, if there's anything urgent, then we'll kind of wrap it up at the end. But typically what happens is one or two people will have really pressing issues and then we'll just kind of dive deep into those things. And then we always like, right, someone's at a meeting agenda person or note taker and we'll do the actions off the meeting. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. And how often do you have this meeting? Probably once every two to three weeks, I would say. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. And how long do they go for? An hour, hour, hour and a half. We that's usually a, time it amazing. with like a family Sunday meal. Do you have like a dinner as well? Yeah, it's like we have a dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like an AGM. Maybe I should do that. We should off-site away days. Dude, that's amazing. I know it sounds like for some people that might sound like cringe. I think that's amazing. I think people should be running their families like you would run an organization like OKRs and like goals and like you know as long as it's fun but yeah yeah as long as it's fun it sounds fun I mean for me maybe (laughs) (laughs) engineered fun let's talk about sort of like I'm going to call it an entrepreneurial journey because I think it is very entrepreneurial what you're you're up to and what you've been able to achieve up to this point I'm sure it's going to be even bigger than what you've achieved right now where do you feel that you've had to make sacrifices 
if it's not in business, but perhaps in your personal life, like what's the offset? Everyone, the, yeah. Everything is about trading. I think the sacrifices I've had to make is that, you know, obviously that period was since I left EY to like literally now, I barely took a salary out, mm. out of the company and what I was doing. I just literally gave everything like to this. I re- like, invested my whole life savings into the business, you know, into the funds, into the companies. And, you know, that's like a huge risk, right? Like there was no plan B. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you, when you speak to a lot of, if you have more guests, I'm sure that founders are like kind of, like I was just completely all in, right? Like mm. I had no, there was no alternative to make it successful and so that puts you in a you know mindset and you know my friends that are lawyers you know earning you know they're earning like a million pounds you know salary and in terms of the sacrifice the way I've always looked at it is like do what you love long term you know you'll figure things out in a, in a meaningful way and I think you know that was it's been hard it's been a hard journey on that there's been some ups and downs in my personal life as well and you know how you do have to sacrifice the weekends and etc but I think over the years I think you know, we can talk about balancing stuff, you know, and Jay particularly is very good at this. You know, he balancing work and, and, and life is is something that I've really realized world is not like an Elon Musk. We have this whole Elon Musk culture yeah. in startups. And actually to be your best, I think you need to have, you know, a really good personal life. You've got to be like fit. You've got to be healthy. I think you've really got to find your own style in um, doing that, you know? And I think I love that Robin Sharma thing, which is like great entrepreneurs. They'll work super hard, but then they'll just go quiet for 48 hours and you won't hear them, hear anything from them. And I think I've really subscribed to that mentality. Like Jay won't hear from me for like two days and he'll be like, where have you been? And I'm like, well, cause I've just been like resting and walking and doing my thing or like spending time with my family. Or I think that the concept of active rest is very important. So like, Vegging on Netflix is not active rest. It's, it's like that's not actually going to help you feel unwound. But for me, it's like, you know, going for a long walk or for me, it's playing golf. That's like active rest for me. And so like, I always try and plan active rest because even a short period of active rest is actually like having like a day. I have a phone that I switch off. Like I switched to a, a Nokia 3210 at the weekend. No way. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, then I just like screen time goes down to like, two hours at the weekend so you don't use no social no, no twitter no, no, no. no linkedin I, I pick it up like once or you know twice in a day on a weekend for whatever reason That's but cool actually hack. yeah like or what i do is if i'm out with my girlfriend i just tell everybody that's close to me if you need something serious just message her <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes she doesn't pick up the phone which has happened so <laughs> um dude tell us about failure right yeah. because everything sounds like super positive yeah. it sounds like you've been on the upward trajectory but actually you know you must have experienced so much oh, crap so, along the way so what are like the low points in those sort of experiences that you've had with companies yeah. or like you know dealing with founders like us or missing deals <laughs> missing, missing deals. deal yeah missing yeah. deals yeah yeah i've got don't even know where to start. Where do you, yeah, where do you let's start? start let's start with in terms of funny not funny stories like you know the one that stands out is like we were selling a company this is like early on in this process this is like the founder was literally ready to receive his money you know all right of us at the were, end right, right at the end, end. Yeah, right yeah, at the end. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and and the buyer picks up the phone to the founder and says yeah we're going to chip the price by 50 percent." and i was like what like how are you doing this like at the last stage it wasn't like early anywhere it's not a negotiation point the docs were all kind of there and i was just like how could he do this like, yeah oh. how could he do this and then basically he called me up 
and told me this in my office. And I don't think I've ever told this story to anyone. And basically, as I was on the phone to him, as he was telling me this, I was very dehydrated because I went to the gym and I was standing next to a radiator and I collapsed. So I didn't even remember him telling me this. And so I ended next thing I was like, I think I was speaking to that guy. And I was in the hospital and uh, guys oh, sure. and oh, I ended up in God. A&E. And I was like, I don't know what... Like, did someone say something to me? So then I spoke to him later and I was like, oh, he's like, oh, by the way, and it's like, just add to your day. This has happened. And oh, my God. I, and that was a, you know, very stressful. Everyone, you know, and often these things stack because like I was going through some stress in my personal life. And, you know, that happened at the same time when I collapsed at work. And then I was like, oh, my God, like the world's uh, falling apart there. So anyway. What I would learn from that is that there's lots of situations we've been and sometimes you only think you only have one shot in terms of the goal. You're like kind of it's there's only one investor who could invest. There's only one buyer. But actually, what I've learned is that, you know, great founders or great teams, they just find a way. They found a way. People find a way if they want to find a way. There's always another option. There's all, And there's a great book called The Third Door, which you know, might have read, Alex Benayan. And The Third Door is the concept of like in a nightclub, you've got the VIP line, which you pay a lot for. And you've got the normal line, which everyone queues up to. But there's always a door round the back where you can jump through the toilet and get into the nightclub. And often you have to take that door you know, to get things done in life. So I think that's probably what, and yeah, look, I've had so many, I've had founders who have both decided to leave their company at the same time. Oh, <laughs> like, co-founders. co-founders. Oh my word. Yeah. For the same company. For the same company. Oh man, so there's oh, no one running word. the company. Yeah, there's no one, yeah, you literally have founders who refuse to speak to each other. Like, oh, wow. uh, it, it, you know, literally, honestly, there's so many things. What attracts you to the pre-sea stage? Because I feel like this is like the most, risky part of the the life cycle yeah like exactly what attracts me is definitely the people i love the fact that businesses can change three times before they get to the next stage and seeing you know almost those people mature into like great founders and helping them on that journey is really really interesting and i think when we invest we do like this huge like personality framework on people so it's not like a gut decision which a lot of a lot of vcs do and i think that that's really interesting like seeing someone who may be old or young but then they have the right kind of you know leadership skills they have the right vision the right risk-taking ability to actually make a you know huge company is just like you know when you it's almost when you uncover a d- rough diamond yeah, 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 yeah you know it's fascinating i introduced reese to a few people right and yeah. reese doesn't speak to them until they do the personality test I, I, I want to learn about this personality <laughs> test. You know what? Is you invest like a... in my companies. You've not made me do the personality test. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, that's actually, I might, I'm actually quite curious now. You might have yeah. already done it. You yeah. might, he might have just Maybe, been like, yeah, what's happening yeah. here? What were yeah. your thoughts on this? And you just like answered, yeah, not yeah. knowing it was part of a test. He's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know you so well. I know the answers to the questions. <laughs> so hold it. Is, is it like a Myers Briggs test? Yeah. Is it like like what, what what literally is it? Yeah. So it's it's a combination of a couple of things. So we've designed it more around entrepreneurship, and there's kind of six six things that we've decided that are important to entrepreneurship. This include like risk taking, vision, leadership, various different things. So we ask, we do a questionnaire like, you know, similar to Myers-Briggs. But what we do is we put people typically, there's two people in startups at the start, a CEO and a CTO. So what we're really testing for is are the people well suited to those roles and then working together. So out of 100%, this person is 80% 80% a CEO type person in this role. So often we sign like a CTO trying to be a CEO and vice versa, and that doesn't work well. But we don't take it as gospel. What we do is then we reference our network, almost like 
without them knowing, are they like this or via their references as well. And we go very deep. And then we, you know, we even talk about like interests outside of work and like really go deep into who they are, because even though they might have built a product or no product, it just changes. Like the market changes. There's three pivots before they get to kind of series A. So it's really about that. And even later that people say they're about people, but no one actually said... How are you testing for people? Yeah. No one actually does that. You yeah. know, like, and so that's why it's so important at Pre-Seed. So, and also at Pre-Seed is one of the riskiest, but we have like a very large portfolio. We have 70 companies in our pond. So that kind of it diversifies the risk and one or two will do well, like Jay's companies. So, what, <laughs> so across the map, there's a couple of things there. So are other funds doing this sort of thing? Or is it personality? Has it become yeah. like a new thing now? Like everyone's doing it or are you, is it still quite niche? Yeah, it's, 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 it's slightly niche. I think more people... The larger funds have like you know data scientists who will work in more like numbers based. So I'll see how much your how many downloads you're getting in the app store, how many employees you're gonna. So they track a lot of data that way. But I think there's a few funds that are doing something similar. But I think there's no one who's kind of applied it periodically to kind of precede and said look you know that's kind of the interesting note right. So my third company, um, Screenloop, we provide like this ability where you get your future candidate like the candidates you're interviewing to do these surveys. And it's been a game changer because you can identify if they're a right fit for your business. And what I found strange is like, yeah, literally 95% of businesses don't do any like personality questionnaires. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's 95%. Yeah, yeah. Like literally hardly anyone does it. So, you know, I think he has got an edge right now. Um, probably people are going to listen in now. Irrespective though, I feel, but then it's, I think you can have this personality questionnaire but if you can make it very personalized to what you're looking for mm. that's the difference right because mm. yes you can do the generic Myers-Briggs but I don't know I find those things keep on changing and also everyone's pretty bored of them as well now so I think what you've got is something that's quite unique also I think that like along the arc of someone's career as an entrepreneur their roles are going to change so like for example using myself mm. as a project here I'm CEO right now I'm founder I know when the company gets to a certain size I'm not going to want to be CEO anymore. Like I'm going to want to be in, you know, the branding or the marketing or the strategy or that kind of stuff. So right now I'm assuming that role, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I want to be that role in like five, 10 years time. Yeah. How do you account for that? Like the changing roles? Yes, of the... it's a good question. I think one of the things we, we have, we probably haven't accounted for that, I suppose, because I think for us, everything is about the first 12 to 18 months of your journey. So when they do their next round of funding, it's not like we say goodbye to them, but we've like we've done our jobs, in our opinion, in a sense, we've got you from zero to one. And I think that businesses change a lot in that leadership area. But I think that fundamentally, if you're a founder of a company, you're going to stay close to something meaningful in that and you'll have a leadership position or you'll have some vision for a segment. So those are the things we're testing for. It might not be you're running everything, but you'll be running something within that company and are you going to be able to push the risk boundaries are you going to be able to put people on your journey with you are you going to be able to do various different things that you know great founders do like resilience is one of the things we test for so much like how do you test for that yeah yeah, yeah so, it, so it's a couple of things we ask some questions and there's obviously a measure of risk and yeah. resilience and there's questions that you can't like double do like in sense that they're opposing to each other so it kind of gives people an indication of what they're like but then we just like dig very deep into their personal life you know like often you know people might have done some extracurricular things they might have done like you know climbing Everest climbing you know things like that where you could really demonstrate hey there was a real problem here and I really overcame it and I, I did overcome those challenges yeah what are your top three attributes actually so I think uh, number one you've just definitely got to have a vision for where you're going like you've got to 
Well, it's really clear, right? Clarity. Really, really clear, clear vision. If you look at all the great entrepreneurs, they have a very, very clear point of view of where they think the world and their company is suited in that world, which is different to now. Mm. And they have a vision which people buy into. That's investors, that's other founders, other employees. But I think also like it's also that execution piece, probably like the second bit, because there's so many people that, you know, we speak to, we've, we have our challenges with some of the, our founders. We almost be like, this is the playbook of like how you do something, but they don't execute on it, right? Like they just literally, with giving them like opening the door, they could walk through it, but they choose not to. And half of life, I think, if, if someone says, what's one reason you've got to where you have? 90% is like showing up. But the rest is like the 10% difference between most people is they follow up. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. how many people that you meet at a party or like, you know, something says, oh, yeah, I'm going to send you that or like I'm going to do that. But I was always the guy that did send that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. did message you the next day. Yeah. And I think that like founders like generally like that execution on follow up tells you so much about them. Have they got their data room sorted? So like, right. yeah, yeah, you know, you know the yeah, great yeah. founders because they'll follow up with you straight away. Be like, this was a great call. These are all my notes from the call. This is what you're concerned about. This is our link to our like, like all the documents that we prepared before we came to see you. And this is personalized, like why we think you are a great fit for us. And yeah. I'm like, okay, you're in the top 0.1% if you did that, which isn't that hard, in my opinion, really, yeah, to do that. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's how you get money from race. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good hack for anyone because everyone throws around these words like, you know, uh, vision and resilience and execution. But Reese has literally spelled out how you demonstrate those qualities right yeah. there, man. That's, that's, yeah, that's epic. Those are great hacks. How do you guys make money? Right. So like, what's the math on that? Like how like you raise money from other people, you have a fund, you invest that, you know, based on your criteria, etc. How do you guys make? What, what, what's the yeah, talk us through the logistics. It's a quite a simple business in its core. So we raise money from institutions like the British Business Bank or individuals. And we have two forms of revenue, as it were. One is the management fee. We charge a management fee to manage that money. And, you know, that kind of mainly I would say keeps the lights on in the business and allows us to kind of pay a salary and marketing etc and then the main so about two percent one and a half, yeah 2%. it's between one and a half and two percent for most funds and then the main source of the revenue or what we like to see or the profit is uh, when we sell companies so in terms of a fund really really simply we'll make let's say 50 investments in our fund it's 50 million so let's say it's one million I'm doing really really yeah, rough yeah. maths here but really we'll make one um million investment in each company for 50 companies and then obviously we would expect one company basically to become a unicorn which is like two billion dollars and we might own 10 percent of that company let's say mm-hmm. um and then it won't be that i'm just being facetious but then you would obviously return your fund two three four times so expect most vcs have this um concept of power law which is essentially where 90% of the returns come from one company. So, you know, the way we model our fund is like essentially one company will be extremely successful and everything else can go to zero and we'll still do pretty well. And yeah. if two happen, that will be a bonus. And then we make 20% carry, they call it carry in the industry, on the profit. So if, if our fund goes from one pound to two pounds, essentially we would make 20p. So 20% of the profits. And that's kind of our main kind of driver of revenue, I suppose, in the business. So the 1%, let's say 1% for argument's sake, yeah. you mean 1% ca- uh, management fee yeah. that's on a yearly basis? Yearly basis. Okay. For 10 uh, years. For 10 years. Yeah. Okay. And the life cycle for a fund is typically? 10 years, yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Okay, fine. So you're going to wait. A long time. Wait a long time. Yeah, yeah. To, so you're basically 
I want to say living, but yeah. you know, you're, you're living off that one percent. How yeah. many people are on you in the? There's there's, there's seven of us in the team. Seven of yeah, us in the team. Yeah. Wow, so it's lean team. Yeah, so it's lean. What it is is that obviously what people do is they also raise subsequent funds. Mm. So they're kind of then the kind of stacks on top of each other. Yeah, most importantly, we're we're all in my team are very very aligned in terms of we want to make great investments because that's. They, people shouldn't make the money off the management fees. They should make the money off the yeah. profits and the exits because then you're aligned with your investors. So let's say one of your companies actually exits or yeah. sells for, like within two or three years. Yeah. Then, then what happens? Yeah, so we've had a number of exits that, you know, we've, that's already happened. So, you know, some of them are, for example, you know, one we sold recently, we made five five X on, on that, which was, okay. you know, it's a good yeah, yeah. most people look at as amazing. So that one, right? Yeah, you were in that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I can't remember. Yeah, that bit was later. a good one. Yeah, yeah. the bit late one. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was great. So that returned like of a fund of one pound, let's say that uh, one of our early funds that returned like 30p in the pound. Yeah. In that case, we returned it back to our investors, but we still have to get over one pound that we've you know, deployed until we get into the profit share. Profit, the profit share. Yeah, so, oh, okay. Yeah. So only you only get that twenty percent. Yeah. Twenty percent when you hit a certain yeah. threshold. When we've given oh. you the principal that you've invested into the fund back, gotcha. we don't do it on an individual deal oh, basis. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that incentivizes you to really like. Yeah, yeah. we want to yeah. push for the kind back of winners. Back yeah, winners. Yeah. The reach desks of this world. Yeah. <laughs> That's my. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. What would you say? From all of this, we've given so much insights. What, what are the two or three things you'd love to just like leave back for the listener? Like some lessons that you know you think you'd like are great to pass on. I think a couple of things. Just keep you know it's such a cliche, but like follow up with people. <laughs> like yeah. follow up because uh, you know everyone says follow your dreams and passion, but actually a lot of it is because you don't follow up. <laughs> like people don't follow up. Well, I would like to impart that. I mean, we had a vision of like. I remember when we started, like, we were in a different office and we ended up in a basement of a coffee shop in West London. And I remember I was with my two first, like, kind of interns that were working with me. And we said, right, we literally wrote on a whiteboard, like, this is how many deals we're going to do. We're gonna do. And we're going to have, like, 100 million under management. And this is when we're going to do it by. And I think, like, just writing something like that down, it was ridiculous at the time. We were literally in, like, Joe and the Juice. And we did it. We did actually do it at the end. I think we were a couple of years later than we planned that my aggressive target. But I think write things down, have people that support you, good network of friends and family and just enjoy the ride. Like, you know, like when we launched the fund, I said to all my team, you know, you all work so hard to get to this point. It's been such a journey, literally, you know, ups and downs with companies and funds and raising and like, you know, all being from non-VC backgrounds. It's really tough. It was a really mm. hard journey. And raising these funds really hard really really hard and you know you just got to keep going keep believing it's not actually the quickest that win the race it's one that's the most consistent and you know, there's loads of great things like atomic habits and you can read all that stuff but never stop learning i think that's that's what i'd leave listeners with reese thank you so much Thanks man you're me. a really good mate of mine and We've gone through absolute <laughs> wars together, like yeah, on my huge. company's investing. Yeah. And Reese yeah. is, like, is oh. one of the people I call up. Like He's one of the first people every single time. And yeah. he's an awesome, awesome friend. So I'm glad you joined us on the pod. Thanks. So thanks, thanks so much, man. Me. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. If you want to support the Happy Millionaire podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify, click notifications and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love for you to support.